Well, how y'all doing again? How y'all doing again? Excuse me just one minute. I got to get this iPad right here. I'm a preacher, but I mean, I got to have notes too, man. Got to have notes too. Hey, so so glad that you guys are here again. And uh, I want to thank Priscilla for leading us in, in worship. We think that um, worship is very important, not only individually, but that we do it uh, collectively and, and publicly and corporately. So um, it's a beautiful thing when a church can gather and sing. And um, we are clearly in a stage where we are, we are building things, but... Um, Think about like in the old, uh, the old Testament, and even really the New Testament, when there wasn't a temple in the city that they would go visit, they would go down by the river and sing. And uh, I guarantee you they didn't have lots, they didn't have acoustic guitars, and they worshiped God because really it is His breath that fills up our lungs, so we should pour out our praise to Him only and regardless of what we're going through. So I say all that to say you guys sounded good this morning. You sounded good this morning. I don't know that we'll be putting a choir up here anytime soon. But if we did, some of you could probably be up there singing with us. Hey, uh, two things that I want to share before we get going. First and foremost, the first most important is this. This is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, we would be insensitive, un-American, and unpatriotic if we did not just say on behalf of our troops who are serving this great nation, both foreign and domestic, who protect us, who serve, who support um, basically our society by defending it, uh, just how grateful we are for our nation as a young 18-year-old kid looking back who knew nothing. Um, I watched the movie Black Hawk Down one night and then went to the recruiting office the next day and said, hey, I think I'd like to wear that uniform and did. So I have a small taste of what it's like, but there are those who are currently serving around the country, around the world. And can we just celebrate all of our armed forces this morning? And I want to share this with you guys, too. Just It's a little personal, but um, we still live in a, in a world where we're not in the Vietnam era where our military is volunteer. And what that means is this. When you go down to the recruiting office, whether it be Navy, Marine Corps, Army, or whatever branch you serve in, you do it willingly. Now, when I say volunteer, they, they're able to sign up on their own free will. They make a paycheck as well they should, right? They should make good money. They should. Um, so all these people that are out serving, and I want you to know this, that people think of like people in the military just going and fighting war. That's not necessarily true. They do. But there are some who are serving overseas right now from their family that are supporting things. There are those who are out of state serving. So don't just think as militaries, the people that go overseas and shoot guns and throw grenades. Some do. Um, but there are families in this church who are impacted by those who aren't in war, but yet they're overseas. So just remember that this morning, that... We serve a great country, and we don't live in a country that's free by default. We do because many uh, brave men and women have gave their all so that we could have some. Amen. So just thank goodness and thank God for the truth, regardless of what you think about the president or his decision. Can we all agree that we support our troops? Regardless, yeah. <laughs> little housekeeping, little housekeeping. The next thing is next Sunday, it's the same church but different location. Uh, we're meeting at Clinton High School next Sunday. It'll be the same time. We'll do the City Cafe at 1030. Um, part of the benefit of not having a church, as we've t- our building, as we've discussed, is we don't have a mortgage. And um, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, and you guys got all fired up when I said that. 
And also on the flip side of that is sometimes you got to move around, which, by the way, we're not doing anything new. You do know that. I mean, you look at the Old Testament, they took the tabernacle everywhere. So um, it's the people of God that make up the church. If you put faith in the building, we're so glad you're here this morning, by the way, but we put faith in people, not in places or things. Amen? So it's going to be a good day for us. Our, our production team went down there, some of our city kids. Um, I went down there, I guess, last week or the week before. I guess it was the week before. Looked it out, and uh, it's just going to be church. Just same church, different location, and uh, we're excited about it, and uh, we're, we're loving what God is doing. Speaking of what God is doing, we are in a series um, that we started three weeks ago today called The Table. And basically what we're talking about is how do we form authentic relationships uh, how do you form authentic relationships with Christ, those who are in church, and those who are out of church? And that's something that we're really big on here at City Lights is staying on mission and understanding this. We're okay that we meet in a high school because what that does is this allows us to truly be the church. This, we're okay with having to change locations on a Sunday because our identity is not in this facility. Our identity is in Christ and Him crucified. And so we've got a great group of people that have come on board with this mission, and it just seemed right as I was planning that we would do this series about just forming relationships with, with Christ, with those who are inside the church and those who are outside the church. And we've, we've taken the, the idea that the table, much like this, is where families gather to share meals. It's where life happens. It's where community happens. It's where connection happens. And if you will, metaphorically speaking, it's where Life happens inside the church, the table, the body of the gathering. And so this morning we're in part three, and we're talking about who is invited to the table. Who is invited to the table? We've, just a quick recap, if you missed any of our messages, you can check out our podcast on iTunes or citylightsac.org. But um, the first week we talked about if we're going to have any relationships, we must be have one with Christ. And uh, really just promoting that idea that if Christ is at the center, there's always going to be community around us, but there, he must be the most important relationship we have, which by the way, if you're here this morning and you're not really sure what you think about Jesus, if you're here this morning and you're kind of skeptical, there's something in your life that's causing you to doubt with the reality of who he is or his grace, we want you to know you're welcome here. I mean, this should, you should be able to come to the church and you should, you should be able to come to church and um, have questions. You should be able to come here and have doubt. And um, so that's the church that we want to be. So just in case you've wondered, um, we want people who are from all walks of life. And we think that the gospel promotes that as well. In fact, that's kind of what we're talking about this morning. Who was invited to the table? And as you think about Christ, who he died for, I think we, we must remember, those of us who are in Christ, is that, that Jesus wasn't martyred with the saints. He was slain with the sinners between two thieves and the cross, right? Starting off heavy this morning, that's a heavy hit. That was a heavy hit. He was slain with the sinners for sinners. Jesus came so that everybody could experience him. And unfortunately, in our church today, our church being the capital C, not just city lots, because we're perfect, by the way, um, there is this major level of hypocrisy, judgment, condemnation, a.k.a. religion, tradition, that keeps people from coming to Jesus. And we're going to see as we study some scripture this morning that we should not make it hard for those who are far from God to come to Christ. And let me clarify what I, what I mean when I say those who are far from God. The murderers. Transgenders. Those who are wrapped up in the snares of drug addiction. Those who are sitting down this Sunday morning down there at the jail. 
whose society says, you deserve it. Well, that's not for you to judge, nor me. But I'm talking about those who are far from God. I'm talking about the people you look at and you think, man, there is no hope for them. Well, I wouldn't be so quick to pull that trigger. I wouldn't be so quick to pull that trigger. Listen to what this guy, this guy named David McGee said. He said, we should be more concerned with reaching the lost than pampering the saved. Come on, somebody, that should fire you up because, yeah. Hey, okay. Listen, I wrote this thing on Tuesday. I know what's coming. I've got some more good stuff, so if that wasn't good, just hang on. But is it not the reality of things? We should be more concerned with reaching the lost instead of building this country club and, and accommodating all these people. They have these needs and these wants and desires, which there's nothing wrong with that. But the idea is this. People will say, I've got to get fed. Well, you need to be feeding your own self. I mean, when you're a baby, people feed you. But when you're an adult, you feed yourself. You don't come to church to get fed. You come to glorify and worship God. I'm like getting all bendy and crazy up here already. So I know what we say. I mean, there's a good spirit when people say, I need to get fed. What you're saying is you want to hear the word proclaimed. You want to be challenged. And listen, I prepare, I pastor this church to challenge you. Ephesians says, my job is to equip the saints, not to pamper you, not to answer every question you have. But here at City Lights, we're focused on the mission of display, disciple, deploy. We want to display God's love. We want to disciple God's people, not just throw them in a group. We want to disciple them, do life with them, and then deploy them into God's mission. So display, disciple, deploy. And we think that in of itself is a cycle of multiplication. If we can get somebody through to the deploy, then they'll turn right back around and display God's love to somebody. They'll disciple somebody, and it'll just be this ongoing. And we see Jesus. I mean, some of the hardest things he said were to religious people. Why? Because we have like this arrogant attitude about ourselves. And can I just be honest with you, church? Not that I'm ever dishonest, but I really just want to be honest right now. Our culture has gotten so far away from biblical Christianity. We don't even know what it really means, I think. Like I hear, I mean, it's, it's good people in the sense of what they're striving for. But I hear, I hear people talk about stuff and I'm like, I don't say it out loud, but I'm like, you're an idiot, dude. You know what I mean? I mean, honestly, like you think about, and, and we catch it, and I'm not, I'm not above it. And I, I mean, I realize that it's the truth. I know that my confidence as a pastor is in Christ, but also it's in the people who I worship with. We get some slack about meeting in a high school. We get some slack about being a church plant. I get people all the time, they ask me this. In fact, I got one this weekend. And some they're like, not even sure if we're a real church. So they'll say it like, I know what they mean, but they'll say it like, how's your church doing? Like, how's your, are you guys still making it? And I'm like, yeah, matter of fact, we just took up the biggest offering we've ever had because people are giving and believing. There's a skepticism But here at City Lots, I want you to know that we are focused on making Jesus famous, giving him glory. We are more concerned about reaching the lost than being people pleasers. And what happens is this. You know this. When you don't people please, people get mad. And so we're talking this morning specifically. I want to get into it because I think it's a good word. It's God's word about who's invited to the table. Now, if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Acts chapter 15. If you have it on your phone, you can turn it on. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a Next Steps table out there. We would love to give you a free Bible. And there was a time in my life that I didn't have one and somebody gave me one. 
So we'd love to give you one. If you don't have a phone or a Bible on you, don't worry or feel guilty because we have it up on the screen. You can just follow along with me. Most of the time I read from there anyway. But here's what's going on. As we talk about just keeping, here's the reality, is that Christ died for everyone. So we shouldn't make it hard on anyone to experience the cross if you're in Christ. And the tension that we're going to wrestle with is, why is that so? Why should we not make it hard on anyone when we want to judge people, when we want to condemn people, and when we want to, basically, we make it hard for people to come to Christ. Let me tell you a true story here. I've shared this before. I was at uh, UT Hospital. This has probably been like two years ago. And I came, I came downstairs, and I hear this guy, what we would call in the church, witnessing to this man of a different, uh, basically, um, uh, ethnic background, you know. And he's sitting there, this guy's sitting down, and this, the Christian, the cross follower, supposedly is, basically, he is one of those, like, I come down and I run the corner and I hear him, like, talking to this guy, and I'm thinking, this has got to be two dudes, like, you know, friends talking, you know, about something silly in the Bible. And he's sitting there like, well, what would stop you from getting saved tonight? You know, if you, if you died tonight, you know, you'd spend eternity in heaven with Jesus forever. Would you spend eternity in hell with Satan? You know, just blaspheming this guy. Just, I mean, just blaspheming. And I'll be honest with you. If I didn't know Jesus and I had to base who Jesus was off the impression of this guy, I wouldn't have got saved either. Do you know what I'm talking about? No thanks, buddy. I'll just go down to the hitching post and hang out. There's this, there's this problem that Christians bring to the table. And the tension that we're going to wrestle with today is that if Christ died for everyone, and I do mean everyone, then we shouldn't make it hard for anyone. And I would ask you to ask yourself this, this diagnostic question. Are you helping or hurting your brothers coming to Christ? Are you helping him or are you hurting him? So here's the context. We're in Acts chapter 15. Before we dive in, let me set up a little context for you. There's a guy named Paul who you may have heard of if you're a Christ follower. If you've not heard of him and you're not into Christ, basically Paul was a murderer. Pretty much. He was a murderer. And he was converted by uh, an experience with Christ, which is what we hope you have today, an experience with Christ. And there's another guy named Barnabas. And they're traveling around. They're what we call, they're on a mission trip. They're evangelists. They're traveling around spreading the gospel. And something you're going to see as we get into the scripture is there's going to be talking about some Gentiles. And basically in the first century, it, there was, you were either a Jew or a Gentile. And what the word Gentile means is nations. And really when the Bible speaks of Gentiles, what it means is that God's chosen people to carry forth the Messiah, to bring him out of it, was the nation of Israel. So if you weren't in the nation of Israel, you were a Gentile. And they were despised. What I want us to do today is when you see this word Gentile, I want you to think of those who are far from God, those who seem like there's no hope left, murderers, child molesters, drug dealers. Those who you would look at and say, they deserve what they get. Hey, if you deserve what you got, you'd be in hell tonight. Lecrae says if we fought for our rights, we'd be in hell tonight. Everybody's not so quick to point the finger. Hey, welcome to church. We're getting heavy this morning. Here we go. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. We're just going to dive through and unpack it. So they're on a mission trip. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, 
You cannot be saved. You know people like this who say, you can be saved, but you got to do this, you got to do that. Hey, how many of you in Christ in here, and I don't mean to single you out if you're not in Christ, I really don't. How many of you, when you first got saved, when you were on fire for Jesus, let's just be honest, you really didn't read your Bible every single day, but you didn't feel guilty about it because you had a passion for Jesus. Do you know what I'm talking about? How many of you, when you first got saved and you were on fire for Jesus, you didn't pray every single day, but you still were on fire for Jesus? Then what happened? Religion set in, and you lost that passion because you started feeling guilty because you didn't read your Bible every day. You didn't pray every day. You missed church every now and then. You still kept smoking cigarettes, whatever. Religion. Religion. These men, they say, hey, listen, you've got to do this if you're going to be saved. Don't you know? So right off the bat, what we see is this. Religion says, change, and you can join us. But Jesus says, follow me, and you'll change. Now, I'm stepping on somebody's toes in here this morning, because let me tell you, these used to be my toes. But I've stepped on my own toes so much, I walk around like this. Religion puts rules. Jesus said, I came to break them. Jesus was a rebel, I mean, they're like Lecrae. He was a renegade outlaw. Religion says Jesus wore a three-piece suit and read from the King James Version. There's nothing wrong with whatever translation you read from. Absolutely. Some, I mean, just to get on that to kind of cover my basis, because now I'm fixing to start sweating because I know people read the King James. Some of the very first verses I've learned to quote from King James. What I'm saying is this. You can't confine, you can't confine God to a single translation. Religion says, hey, you can't be saved unless you do what the law says. Jesus says, hey, man, I fulfilled the law. Just come follow me. Acts 15, verse 2. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them. Big time. They argued vehemently. Now it says, finally, and I don't know, listen, if this finally was like 30 minutes later, or if it was like a three-hour discussion. But the word finally is indicative of there was some time there. There was this argument about, hey, listen, you're placing things on the law, but Jesus fulfilled that when he hung from the cross. So it says, finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem. They were accompanied by some local believers to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. Verse 3. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, listen, much to everyone's joy, so that means what they were fixing to share, the people in Phoenicia and Samaria were like, yes, that the Gentiles, too, were being converted. Now, there's this reality of things where we call it jailhouse religion. You ever heard about someone getting saved in jail, and you're like, of course you did. He's all you had in there. Right? I mean, we expect to hear it. And then a lot of times what happens is that person gets out and what do they do? Thank you, Jesus, for getting me through that. I'll see you next time. In 30 or 60 days, probably. We're so skeptical of people's encounter with Jesus. Hey, can you imagine this? Those of you who are here in Christ, and if you're not in Christ, you can, you can go there with me, but imagine these disciples that Jesus had, had raised up. They were following him. They're walking with the Savior of the world. 
He goes, dies on the cross. They begin to lead the church. And this guy named Paul, who's a murderer, comes along. He's murdered Christians. And all of a sudden, he's like, hey, I'm saved. Could you imagine the first time they sit around the table and prayed? I mean, prayed. I guarantee there wasn't an eyes closed there. You know, they was all looking at Paul and saying, who's this guy? Paul's like, hey, I'll pray for us. I just killed Stephen yesterday, but I'm going to pray today. There, see, there was great joy because why? When you've experienced the gospel, you want people to know about the gospel. Let me talk you about. Well, let me talk about what it means to have great joy when those who are far from God come to Christ. Uh, probably, maybe 16 years ago this year, maybe 17. I'm not even sure off the top of my head. I was a, a young teenager living in Hunter's Trail over there. It was a Thursday night, November 7th, 1996. I get a phone call, my sister does, from a family member. A very long story short, I had a 12-year-old cousin, Dwayne Kesterson, his mom, Anita, who were brutally murdered by his stepdad. I'm talking brutal. Execution style. Matter of fact, this was such a big deal back then. You guys remember the O.J. Simpson case? Nicole Brown Simpson, her sister came and spoke at a convention an event for Anita in regards to domestic violence. So it was a big deal. And it took me a long time, but I can tell you this today. It would bring me great joy if I knew that murderer, Gregory Gregg, came to Jesus. And you say, how can you feel that way? Because Jesus said this, if you've ever looked at someone with, in your heart with hate, you too are a murderer. I mean, you might as well be. If you look at them and say, I hate them. Well, you didn't necessarily pull the trigger like that, but you didn't hear. And this is what I'm talking about. This is what we see here in the Scripture. These people in Phoenicia and Samaria, and you've got to understand about who they were back then. They were despised as well, but it brought them great joy that people far from God were coming to Christ. Did you know the Bible says that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one person who turns and repents the 99 righteous who do, and you need to understand this, it's not that if there were 99 righteous, but the emphasis is on the one. It's on the one person who repents and turns. There was a great joy when these people who are far from God came to Christ. And let's just be honest, there are people sometimes they, work on, they walk in the church doors and you're skeptical of them. I've been skeptical of them. I've been skeptical but for the churches in Phoenicia and Samaria, there was great joy. Listen to verse 4. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. Notice God had done it through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, listen, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Now, let me just tell you for a minute. We keep seeing this word, circumcision. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to just break down the most elementary form I can. In the Old Testament, there was a covenant that God made that basically, through, uh, through Abraham, really, that, that men would be circumcised. And you're going to ask, well, why would God do such a thing? The best way I know how to describe it in the time we have is this. This wedding ring is proof of what? Marriage. This wedding ring does not make me married, correct? Same with circumcision. It was an outward expression of something that God was doing inward. 
That's what it means in the Old Testament. Now, when you get to the New Testament, you see Paul, the Apostle Paul, talking about circumcision. And then what he's talking about is the removal of your stone heart. So it goes from being a literal thing to a spiritual stone removed. So we see here that these believers, they belong to the sex, uh, not the sex, but the sect. Hey, I want to welcome y'all and say goodbye at the same time. I had a feeling like something crazy was going to happen because I kept getting stuttered up a little bit. But listen, if sex is the last, the worst thing I say at church, we'll be good, right? So these sect of the Pharisees, they stood up and insisted basically the same thing we see in verse 1. These Gentiles, there's something that they must do if they're going to be saved. They've got to follow the law of Moses. So basically what we see these Pharisees saying, and what we often say too when we put these things, these limits on people, is that Jesus is not enough. What you're saying is that Jesus is not enough. Or we could say it like this. Laws plus rules plus tradition, that equals religion. When you say it's got to be like this, it's got to be this style of music, you got to do it this way, you got to read this, what you're forcing onto someone is religion. Often your religion. What Paul and Barnabas, what this young pastor, what this church promotes is this, is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I mean, Jesus is enough. We believe that here. That is the message we preach, is that all you need is Jesus, and everything else will come from that. See, we've taken, uh, we've taken really God's power away from Him when we say it's got to be everything else. I mean, I say this all the time, and it's nothing new, but for those who are here for the first time, I want you to hear it. There's a, a, a Christian recording artist named Todd Agnew, and he sings these lyrics. He says, My Jesus wouldn't be welcome in your church because he might get blood stains on the carpet. That's the Jesus we're talking about here. The one who died on the old rugged cross for sinners. Jesus is all you need. Jesus is all you need. Verse 6, so here's what happens. So the apostles and elders, they met together to resolve this issue. It's almost kind of like this is some kind of church meeting here. Well, we can't come up with a solution, so let's just have a Wednesday night meeting about it, is what's going on here. Verse 7, at the meeting, and there again after a long discussion, listen, Peter stood up and addressed them as follows. This is the disciple Peter. I love this. At the meeting, there was this great discussion. Peter stood up and says, brothers... You all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles, those who are far from God, so that they could hear the good news and believe. I want you to know this. I really believe that God has called me for this appointed time to lead this church to preach the good news so that that those who are far from God can come to Him. I believe that with all my heart. You should know this. I would not be up here if I thought anything different. I'd move to Hawaii and try to start a church down there. Anybody want to go? My wife said, Hawaii needs preachers too, you know. Verse 8, God knows people's hearts. Good Lord, aren't you, just, aren't you glad that He knows their hearts when you think you do? Anybody ever judged somebody and been wrong? You ever been judged and they were wrong? Aren't you glad that God knows your heart? Hey, rest in that assurance today that no matter how much you screwed up, no matter how many mistakes you made, God knows your heart. God knows your heart. And He confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit. Now, what you've got to understand there is they weren't too far removed from the day of Pentecost, which is today, by the way, when they received the Holy Spirit. 
See, today you and I, if you're in Christ, you walk around with the Spirit in you. And what we want to teach you here is how to be sensitive to the promptings of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the missing equation in church today. See, the answer is church, programs, things, places. We're at this point in our lives, church, where it's got to be Jesus and the Holy Spirit. There's a guy that wrote a book. You keep this in mind that he gave them the Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, you had the Holy Spirit in you. You can read all, of it, all through the Psalms where David would say, God, please don't take your spirit from me. What if the Holy Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you? Think about it. Verse 9. Look, he made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. How many of you in Christ, answer this for me. How did you get saved? You give your heart to Jesus. There's two words I'm thinking of. God gives us, and it's, we're saved through. Oh, so you mean even those who are far from God get saved the exact same way we did. So there is no distinction then. You're not really high and mighty. He made no distinction between us and them, for He cleansed their hearts through faith, verse 10. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? You ever just, don't raise your hand, just kind of self-inventory. You ever looked at someone and be like, man, there's no hope for them. Or they deserve exactly what they get. Or they'll never come to Christ. They're never going to change. They keep screwing up. Do you realize that when you do that, you're challenging the authority of God to change that person's heart? They're always going to be that way. They're always going to have that sin problem. They're always going to be a drunk. They're always going to be a sex addict. They're always going to be terrible at money. They're always going to be a loser. What you're doing, you might as well, and I mean it, you might as well just stand before God and say, I don't think you can do it. You're challenging God. You're also putting unfair expectations on them that not even you can bear. That not even you can bear. Listen to verse 11. I love this. Peter says, we believe that we are, say this with me, all, try it again, we believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. It's so important that we understand this. Regardless of what your circumstances led you to Christ, the process was no different. See, I make no bones about my past and being a a, a rebellion with drugs and alcohol and sex, drugs, rock and roll. For those of you, there's somebody in here that you never experienced drugs and, and rock and roll and God maybe spared you from it and you would say, well, I'm a little bit better than those people. Well, not necessarily because, listen, it's not as if God had to reach down farther to get me than he did you. He may have had to go through some different things, but the grace you received is still undeserved. There is equality when it comes to Divinity. It's undeserved grace. And listen, this is what will set this city on fire. We talk about flipping this city for God's glory. If we could all realize this, every one of us in here, if you're in Christ, you do not deserve what you have today. It is because God is good. Not because you got lucky. It's because God is good. God is good. Verse 12. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done there again through them. What you see here is that we are the agents of Christ. God does it, but he uses his people. 
Verse 13, when they had finished, James stood up and said, Brothers, listen to me. Now imagine, imagine this. Peter just got up and preached this great message. Imagine if I preached and I was like, hey, amen, have a good day. And somebody else was like, no, no, brother, like they do in the old church. I got a word I need to share from the Lord. That's what James is doing. He's like, hey, I got, I got a message too. James says this, when they had finished, he stood up and said, Brothers, listen, Peter's told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles, those who are far from God, to take them for a people himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. So now uh, James is fixing to quote the uh, book of Amos, the minor prophet, and he's going to quote some of Isaiah here. Afterward, this is God speaking, I will return and restore the fallen house of David, that is Jerusalem, Israel. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it. Listen, so that the rest of humanity, so now we see it was for the nation of Israel. Now God is expanding salvation for all who call upon the name of the Lord, might seek Him, including the Gentiles, including those who are far from God, all those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken. Verse 18, He who made these things known so long ago. So what James is saying here is that God from the beginning had a plan for all of humanity to experience the cross. Sometimes Christians need to just get out of the way and let God do his own thing. And I'm telling you, this could quite possibly be one of the best verses in the entire Bible when it comes to who is invited to the table, what role do Christ followers have. Verse 19, James says, And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult. We should not place legalism on them. We should not place unrealistic expectations that neither we can bear nor them. We shouldn't say that you have to read this certain translation. You have to be at church this many times. You need to pray this way. You need to talk this way. There are certain things you need to do. Now, the reality is this, is that if you'll just follow Jesus, the change will happen. When you step into religion... It just gets messy. What we are trying to cultivate here at City Lights is a place where Jesus is enough and that everybody is invited to the table. James says, And so my judgment, after hearing this discussion, after hearing these debates, after knowing that God's love is equal for all of humanity, we shouldn't make it difficult. And I want to ask you this question again. Are you helping or hurting people from coming to Christ? Can I just make it simple for you? It's not really one of those tricks. Like if you're not helping, you're hurting. You being passive and not active, you're hurting. You're hurting. We should not make it difficult. The bottom line, the sermon in the sentence is this. Christ died for everyone, so we shouldn't make it hard for anyone to experience the cross. Amen. We shouldn't. In fact, we should just welcome them with open arms. Now, this is, listen, this is gonna, I've been kind of on this little hippie phase here lately, and I don't know why, but you realize it's about love, right? I mean, listen, it is about repentance. Let me tell you, those who think that the gospel is all about love and grace, it is those things. But Jesus said this of John the Baptist, that he was the greatest man ever born to women. Do you know what John the Baptist's message was? Repent. Turn. 
But it is about love and grace. It's about tolerance and acceptance. And I want you to know this, that you can come to this church and we'll meet you where you are regardless of where you've been, what you're doing, or where you're heading. However, simultaneously, this will not be a place where you can come and have your sins accommodated. But you're welcome. We say it like this, we'll we'll meet you where you are. See, if Christ died for everyone... everyone Christ died for murderers like Gregory Gregg who killed a child and his mom brutally hey listen I love America I'm proud to be an American but Christ died for those who do the sinful terrorist acts as well they just won't receive it basically at City Lots we could say it like this we're just a bunch of nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody who will save anybody. There's all kinds of different stories here at City Lights. And there's so many reasons that could keep us from coming to Jesus. Maybe you've got some that would make you feel guilty or shamed or unworthy. And the truth is this, is we can make it difficult when people say, no, you're not going to attend this church if you act like that or you did those things. But we're not going to challenge God because we believe he's bigger than us. And I've asked a couple people this morning with their permission to come up here and really make themselves vulnerable to you so you can see what kind of stories I'm talking about. You ever heard a church say, real people? I'm not going to hit anybody in the face, but these are real people. And what I want you to see is that this work that God has started at City Lights Church is real. Like, I've talked with people before, and one of the most recent conversations was about two weeks ago, and I had this guy say, hey, I'm thinking about coming to your church, and we do that in the South. Like, we identify it's our church because I'm the pastor, and I appreciate that. But really, this is God's church. I'm just the shepherd who's called to lead it. However, I tell people, if you're coming to be a part of this church... You need to prepare to be a part of a movement because we just believe that God is going to do exponential things here. We believe it. So don't have the mindset of, hey, I'm just coming. To, I'm, I'm, I'm coming here. No, you better be come with the mindset of, God, where am I going? We just carry the mindset of Isaiah 6, 8. God, here I am, send me. This is ludicrous that I would even say this, but I believe that God is big enough, so I'm not going to challenge him. But... God has been cultivating in this young pastor's heart that he would give us a ministry where the sun would never set. And what I mean is that means we're starting churches in the West Coast. We're starting in Chicago. We're already on the East Coast and we're going to London and we're going to France and we're going to Africa and we're going to China and we're starting house churches where they meet in the basement because they can't do this. I'm getting cold chills. Come on, somebody believe it with me. Believe me that, that God can do it. That God is able. So up here are our people that God has given me a great relationship with. Some are new, some are old, some are long relationships. But these are real people. I just want to kind of get out of the way for a moment. There are so many things that could keep us from coming to Jesus. And let's just, so we can all get on the same page before they share some things. How many of you in here would be honest? Do you have something in your past, your present, a family secret, a secret sin, something hiding in your heart? That if you let 
could cause you to feel guilty about your relationship with Christ, to feel shameful, to feel unworthy about coming to church or any of the above. Can you just raise your hand and be honest? Those who didn't raise your hands, you're liars. We're all filled with sin. So let me say it like this. These people up here, along with you, all have stories that can keep you from Jesus. And I want you to see the real stories that are in here. And it's just going to be very point blank. This guy basically leads our production every week. Him and his wife, his kids come in, set up, tear down. And he loves Jesus. But there's also things that he has struggled with. Has anybody ever been openly admitting about a struggle with pornography? Two years ago, we began meeting in a driveway and just kind of casting vision for what we felt like God could do here. And this guy and his daughter started coming. They live here in town. And um, it's kind of crazy to think it's been almost two years, but very faithful here. Would say, hey, I'm human and make mistakes. And something that could keep me from loving Christ and loving church is I used to deal drugs, use drugs. We're so grateful here at City Lights to have a first impressions team and, and, and someone that's kind of leading our first impressions. And God, we have new leaders stepping up every week, but um, been very fortunate to build a relationship with this person and see them really just kind of step up. In fact, I baptized them on Good Friday of last year. A go-getter, loves Jesus, I think loves people, knows tons of people has struggled with finding a balance in their life with a couple different things. But is is there anybody up here who would say there are times where I've put my career before Christ? One of the first things that we prayed about here is that we would have good kids ministry at City Lots and we began to reach some families that had kids and, and and one of those families had some a little bit different special needs with children and, and that caused a lot of sacrifice and time. Listen, you, let's just be honest. If you have kids, they're hard. They're hard to handle on their best day, right? And oftentimes it calls us to sacrifice and and to invest in them a great deal when there's a little extra tension needed. And is there anybody up here who would say, you know what, there are many times I've put my family before God. See, there are some things in our life that we go through that you can never tell by looking at a person and what they're facing. Just because they're smiling on the inside doesn't mean there's not a struggle on the inside. And as I begin to develop this relationship with this person, and, and in fact, there's four of us that, are, that have been meeting in basically what we just call an accelerate gathering. It's where we just meet and do life. There is no agenda. There is no curriculum. We just talk about what God's doing and begin to share some things. And this person is outgoing, extroverted, I think. 
a little spunky. But when it, the scripture that God knows people's hearts, there are some things there in this heart that you wouldn't know just by any of these people. You wouldn't know by looking at them. Is there anybody up here that's ever been sexually abused? Can we just be honest? These stories so far are legitimate reasons to be mad at God or to be embarrassed or to be, God, I just, why? There's somebody else up here that I I went to high school with and have known for a while. In fact, we're neighbors. We're neighbors. And I truly believe with my heart, I can say this, this isn't to, I just want to be real, I feel like this person is, is doing their best to seek Jesus and what that means for them. But if there's anybody up here who would admit that you struggle finding, because of past relationships and hurts and failures, that you struggle with finding your identity in Christ and not other people. Now, I want you to know I've asked all these people's permission. I'm not asking them to come up here and expose themselves to be vulnerable because ha, ha, ha. It's because this is real. James said, in my judgment, we're not going to make it difficult for those who struggle with their identity, who put things before Jesus, those who have a past of addiction, or because something happened to them that wasn't their fault. We're not going to make it difficult for them to come to Jesus. I began to reach out to these people. Because some of the stories I knew, and then I just felt like God had placed um, them on my heart to, to reach out to. One of the people that I reached out to, as we began to talk about their story, I said, tell me something that you know, would keep you from knowing Christ, or you know, maybe even just ashamed, or you know that you shouldn't have been doing these things. And you were. Because we all have things in our life, regardless if we made it out loud or not, that keep us from Him or that could keep us from Him. And this person began to tell the story of how their child was impacted by this person who influenced them would go on to cause great troubles for this family. So much so that this person would say there were times I seriously could have hurt that person. Genuinely. Had very ill will feelings towards them. So much so that I had feelings that weren't right for humans to feel. And I want you to know this, um, that this person, I believe, would give God glory for, for the trouble that was brought on her daughter, but also would give God glory now for where her daughter is going. If you've ever struggled with bitterness or rage or forgiveness, who is that of? 
I've been very fortunate to be in this church with friends, some that I grew up with. Another was a friend that I grew up in school with. We played basketball. Had mutual friends. I guess we even used to hang out in the early days together. And isn't it interesting how, I mean, we could all say that God just leads us in different places and we all go down these paths that just seem like, God, why, how did we get here? I mean, we've all been there. I've certainly been there. Listen, these are all my stories. I mean, that's me. But this person would tell you that through unhealthy relationships, through bad decisions, in their own words, a 10-year long road took them to the place that they would now tell you God used for His good. Is there anybody is there anybody up here that's ever served time in prison? This is City Lights Church. Real people that we won't make it difficult to experience the cross because Christ died for everyone. Matter of fact, is there anybody up here who desperately needs Jesus to show up in their lives every single day? church this morning Christ died for everyone we should not make it difficult for anyone to experience the cross because it is enough and it is undeserved grace that has rained down on them your pastor and whether you acknowledge it or not yourself would you just pray with me God we are so blown away by your grace your undeserved grace your your holiness God, that in spite of ourselves, that you would take us through prison, that you would take us through bitterness, that you would take us through putting things and and jobs and family and others before you, God, that you would take us, God, that you would take us through abuse, God, that you would take us through addictions, that you would take us through lust, that you would take us through our sinful nature. And redeem us. Through undeserved grace, God, here sits this young church, months old, with a desperate desire to see you made known in this community, both locally, God, help us to go globally, but more importantly, God, may we experience you individually this morning in your undeserved grace. God, there are those of us who raise our hands who said that we have needs, that we have struggles that we're going through. And we just trust you this morning, God, to help us overcome our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups. May you be glorified through it all. Hey, we do something here at City Lights called Reflection Time. And it's just that. We just want you to reflect upon the worship, your experience here this morning, the Word of God proclaimed. We don't make you do anything that you don't want to do. We don't make you do anything silly or uncomfortable. In fact, we don't ask you to do anything other than just reflect 
upon your experience here this morning. Should you be here and there's something in your life that you can relate to with these people, which by the way, if you can, you ought to go shake their hands and thank them for being brave and get to know more of their story and share your story with them. But if you're here this morning, there's something that's in your path that's causing it difficult, a difficulty to connect with Christ or you feel guilty about church or there's something, whatever it may be, there are people here who understand. If you're here this morning, you can say, you know what, Pastor? I mean, honestly, life, I'm just in a good season of life. Why don't you just give God glory for that? Whatever it may be. Let's reflect this morning and even join me in praying that God would give this church the fire that this city has never seen so that it would be flipped for His glory and all the while we would not make it difficult for anybody, listen to me, anybody to meet Jesus because of God's love and how amazing His love is. Would you stand as we sing this last song?
grace Drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes If his grace is an ocean well spoke this morning through your experience through the message through worship can we just celebrate that what a great day in our Lord what a great day in this high school let us remember and be mindful that Christ died for everyone so that we shouldn't make it difficult for anyone to experience the cross I'm so encouraged by what God's doing here I want to thank you for worshiping with us today we would love for you to join us at Clinton High School next week it's going to be an incredible morning. The service will start at, uh, not 8, 11 o'clock, but we'll have a city cafe at 1030. We have free coffee and we have free master donuts that are made every morning fresh. Uh, you got to get there around time because our volunteers scarf those things up. We'll be in part four of this table series. And I'm telling you, I can't. it's going to be another challenging message. So take this message, make it a call to action. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday at Clinton High School.